The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Romans chapter 12 today. We've been uh, several several months now, we've been on a walking through, looking at the grace of God. It's, it's, a, it's a subject that would take more than one human lifetime to fully comprehend the depth and the riches of the grace of God, but we've looked at some different things. We've looked at, we've, we've defined grace, what it is by biblical definition. We've, we've diagrammed grace, showed its many components. We've described the benefits of grace to the believer. We've, we've looked at the distribution of the grace of God, uh, who distributes it, how it's distributed, why it's distributed. We've looked at the diversities of God's grace, the many, the many uh, facets of God's grace, the many, many things that it, it, the ways that it influences and impacts our individual lives. And we've looked at the decrees given, made by the grace of God, certain, certain unbreakable decrees that by, by the grace of God uh, that we can rest upon, that we can be assured of. Now, I'd like to look at the seventh part of this study, and that is today, grace deliberately bestowed. Grace deliberately bestowed. In Romans chapter 12, let's read verses 1 through 5. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, We'll come back to that in a little while. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have today. Instruct us from your word, I pray. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, some interesting things in the scriptures we just read. The first one that comes out at me is uh, in verse number one, where Paul says, presenting ourselves, presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice unto God is our reasonable service. Uh, to me, it seems odd over the years. I've, I've been in the ministry for 35 years now, and it really seems strange to me that people would consider it unreasonable to serve the Lord. I just can't understand that. Uh, I definitely, I'm old school. I'm raised, I'm raised uh, under different uh, morals and ethics than a lot of the younger people of today. But it, it, it astounds me how people can rationale that they're doing enough for God now. You know, I could never do enough for God if I had a thousand lifetimes to offer him. 
I could never do enough for God if I was, if I had all the wealth in the world, if I had, if I had all the power in the world, I still could not even begin to do enough for God. Do you understand how great God is? Do you realize that you young people in this room today, I don't get to talk to you often anymore. Sometimes I see you walking around the building and I'm jealous of, of, of Jared uh, because I worked with teenagers for so many years. Of course, I don't have the energy. I wouldn't be able to keep up with you anymore, but uh, you'd run over me like a Mack truck now. But do you realize how great God is? I mean, think about it. You got your whole life ahead of you and nothing, there's nothing you could possibly do that would be any greater than to sacrifice it to God, to live it for God in his glory. Now, I know parents, I know you want your kids to be doctors and lawyers. Uh, Hank, uh, no, not Hank William. Who is it wrote that song? Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. No, it's not Hank Williams. It was, uh, Will and Jen. No, it's, it's the guy with no teeth. What's his name? Uh, uh, it'll come to me later. But anyway, it's not totally unimportant. But, you know, we as parents, we want, we want our kids to be doctors and lawyers. and we want, we want them to be healthy and wealthy and wise. But truly, the greatest thing we could ever do is hope that they would grow to be servants of the Lord. That they would grow to love God, that they would grow to be in church, and that they would grow to dedicate their life to the furtherance of the gospel ministry. So that... That's not even in my study school lesson today. That's just extra. Uh, but it is reasonable service. It's our, it's our reasonable service to serve the Lord and, and, and not, to, not to waste our lives in, in self-promotion and, and things such as that. Then another thing that jumps out at me is, is uh, in verse 2 when he says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. You know, God's will is always good. It's never, it's never bad. Even when it seems bad to us, even when it may, when it may seem to lend itself to bad circumstances, God's will for me is never, is never bad. It's always, it's always good. Secondly, it's always acceptable. God never does or expects me to do anything that He does not enable me to do. God has, has enabled me to be a good husband. He's enabled me to be a good father. He's enabled me to be a, a good witness for him. He's enabled me to be a good servant unto him. It's acceptable. And thirdly, it's perfect. The will of God is always perfect. There's no flaws in the will of God. God does not make mistakes. He does not, he does not wake up one morning and realize, oh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. God, God knows the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. God knows the course that we walk. God knows everything about us. He knows everything we need. And he provides all the things that we need to have in our life. Sometimes we need to do without. Sometimes we need to go without. But the will of God, I want you to understand, if you understand nothing else I say all day long, I want you to understand that God's will is always good, it's always acceptable, and it's always perfect. Now, I've heard people teach there that we can mess up in life, and there are three wills for God. There's a good will, there's an acceptable will, and there's a perfect will. No, that, that's, all one, that's all part of his will. His will is always good. His will is always acceptable. His will is always perfect. So don't fight the will of God. You, again, you young people in this room, when, you, when you're planning out your life, take the time before you start making plans, get on your knees and say, Father, what will thou have me to do? That's what Paul did when he got saved on the road to Damascus. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? 
and, and let God. You know, if you'd have talked to me 35 years ago and told me I'd be standing in a, in a church in California on a Sunday morning uh, teaching the Bible, I'd have laughed at you. Me? You kidding me? I hated religion. I was like I was like Saul of Tarsus, man. I, I, could, I didn't I didn't like religion at all. I thought it was all a bunch of hypocrisy, a bunch of hokum. And by the way, religion is. But uh, being a Christian, being a child of God and living your life for God is real. But uh, young people, 35 years ago, I, I didn't have any visions of doing what I'm doing today. But God's will unfolded before me in my life. And and God has led me to the point where I am today. I have no regrets. I'm so thankful for all that he has done. And all that he will still do, uh, hopefully, with me in my life. Now, that's all, that's all extra, and I'm going to go on. Paul clearly states in the passages we just read that grace was given unto him. Paul did nothing. He, he did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to, to achieve grace through his experiences or through spiritual growth. Grace was given to him. It came to him by a deliberate act of God, the Father, bestowing grace upon Paul. And the same is true for each of us here today. The grace of God rests upon me. It rests upon you. And it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. There's no good in me. There is no good in me. God says that they have altogether become unprofitable. There's none to do with good. No, not one. There's no good in any of us that God can see. But yet, all of us here this morning, those of us who are saved possess the grace of God. It rests upon us. It, 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 it penetrates us. It, it, it flows through us. The grace of God is, is given to us. It's bestowed upon us. And it was deliberately bestowed upon us. This morning I'd like to look at this deliberate act of God. Him deliberately bestowing his grace upon us. Now, grace uh, is deliberately bestowed upon, number one on your study sheets, it's deliberately bestowed upon the elect of God. Now, I know those aren't really popular words today, but they're biblical words, so we're going to use them. Grace is deliberately bestowed. It was a deliberate act of God. It was a predetermined act of God that his grace would rest upon his elect saints. Romans chapter 11, verses 5 through 7, we read, Even so then at this present time... Also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So here Paul, he, he informs us that uh, grace was, was given by God and it was given, uh, it was given to his elect children, to those whom he had called and chosen unto salvation. Uh, it's not of works. All across America this morning there are, there are churches, religions, where people try to do works to earn the grace of God. I, I grew up in one of those religions. And we, we went through all this rigor and through all this, all these, these works and all these practices in hope that we might gain eternal life, in hope that we might gain the grace of God. But that's not how grace is given. 
grace is bestowed upon, is deliberately given to God's children. And it's, it's not because of works. It's because of, it's because of God's choice. It's because God's grace. Christmas just passed. And, um, we bought each other gifts, right? And we went out and we chose that, those gifts. We put thought into those gifts and we chose those gifts unless you're like me and you're a husband who on Christmas Eve ran out and grabbed the first thing you saw and threw it in the bag. And no, that's, that's how it used to be. I, I used to be one of those, one of those procrastinators who waited to go shopping for my wife on Christmas Eve. And you go in the store and you say, hey, I'd like to get a bottle of Chanel number five. They say, I'm sorry, we're sold out. We got Chanel number one or two, but we're all out of five. But God thought this out. This was predetermined. It was planned in eternity past that his children would receive his grace. And grace we know to be the unmerited favor of God. Uh, We cannot attribute to God the glory and honor and salvation unless we attribute to God his sovereignty and salvation, his right to his right to choice. And, And I'm sure that we can all agree today that God has deliberately bestowed his grace upon all who are born again. We all understand and we all know, all the world knows, by the way, that, that grace is what men strive for. The grace of God is what men strive for. This is why religious people work so hard. This is why they do all the things they do. Because why? What are they striving to obtain? Right. They're looking for God's favor. They're looking for God's grace. And God's favor, his grace, is freely bestowed upon all those whom he has called unto salvation, which the Bible describes as the election of grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, we read, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, grace is, is, we're saved by grace through faith. And not our own faith, but the faith which God gives us. God gives us the faith to believe. He gives us the ability to believe. He, he, he quickens our dead bodies, our dead, our dead souls. He, he makes them alive and enlightens us. And he makes it, he gives us the faith to believe and to repent and to turn to him. In Romans 11.6, we read a few moments ago, if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. In other words, if our salvation is attributed in any way to include some ability in our own self to become aware of God and to turn to the righteousness of God, uh, to our works, then it cannot be the result of grace. If one of us, if any man ever born of woman had the ability to become enlightened about God based upon his own efforts and his own works and his own righteousness, then there would have needed, there would no, been no need for a savior. Jesus would not have needed to come and die for us because if one man could do it, then all men could do it. But the truth is, no man can, and no man will repent, unless God first acts upon his soul. 
graces the free and unmerited favor of God. Therefore, we cannot perform any work, nor can there be any good in us to have God merited, God, to merit God's favor upon our lives. It is to be considered all of grace. Unless God has first quickened us and given us his spirit, we could never have gotten saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom uh, teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But now listen to this. He says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Often men will sit and listen to teaching and preaching, and it makes no sense to them. They, They really can't comprehend it. They really can't understand it. It really doesn't have an impact on them, and that is because Unless we are born again, we cannot receive spiritual truth. Natural man will never believe or receive spiritual truth. He must be acted upon by the Spirit of God in order to do so. So first today, I want us to understand that grace was deliberately bestowed unto the elect of God, the elect children of God. Number two, God's grace was deliberately bestowed to the ministers of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes this, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says that it was according to the gift of the grace of God given unto him, that he is a minister. Now, at first thought, when men consider the word minister, they automatically think of preachers. And they wouldn't be totally incorrect in that. When I, when I say the term minister of Christ, probably most of you thought, well, you know, that's preachers, that's, that's evangelists, that's, that's pastors and things such as that. There are many works in the ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, or in other words, a lot of different jobs, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but as the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now listen to me. There are many jobs in the local church. Um, And every job is important to the health of the church. Every job is important to the ministry. Paul continued to write in verse chapter 12. He said, but now faith, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? If we were all a foot, we wouldn't be a body. We'd just be a bunch of feet, Right? But now are there many members 
yet one body. I have, I have two eyes, I have a nose, I have a tongue, I have teeth. I'm getting fewer teeth as the years go by, but I have teeth. Uh, I have ten fingers, ten toes for now. Uh, I have two arms, two legs. I have billions of cells in my body, all of them individual and different, but yet all one body. You may be sitting here this morning and you say, I am not important to the church. I I do nothing but sit here each Sunday morning. I I don't have anything that really uh, about me that's that important, but but God doesn't agree with that philosophy. Again, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading on, Paul says, For our comely parts uh, have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice. With it. You ever have a toothache? How many of you have ever had a toothache? It hurts in your toes, doesn't it? I mean, it hurts to walk when you have a toothache. Uh, cut a finger. I like to cook. Every now and then I cut my finger. You know, when I cut my finger, every part of my body is going, whoa, what happened? Huh? Yeah, get a cold like I have now. It's amazing how your body will almost shut down over, over, over something like that. Do you understand you're important today to the church? You're an important part of this church. Um, we, we, can't, we, we can't function right. If, if a part of my body isn't working right, my body will not function correctly. Uh, if I don't take care of that part of it, what happens to that body? It may die, right? It will certainly become crippled. It will be severely hindered. But yet we, we have schisms in, in, in the body. We have schisms in our churches. And, and sometimes, God forbid, but sometimes we may even sit in the pew and wish somebody wasn't here. And let me tell you what happens to churches like that. They become crippled. They, they don't accomplish anything for God. They begin to dry up and die. Every one of us is important to the other. And sometimes people don't like it when somebody might stick their nose in their business. But you know what? If I see you doing something wrong, what do you, what do you want me to do? You want me to ignore it and let you continue? Or you want me to come to you in love and say, hey, this isn't right. We need to, we need to change this attitude. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we go to a doctor, right? Go to a doc. doctor. says, you need to change the food you eat. You need to change. You need to get out and exercise more. You need to do this. You need to do that. And if we listen to the doctor, normally our health improves. If we ignore him, it gets worse. So we need to understand that, that we're all important. Every one of us here. So when, when I say minister, I'm not talking about just the preacher. We're all ministers. Every one of us in this room have been made ministers of Christ. It is our job. Is it not our job to go preach the gospel to all the world? Hmm? Is that just a preacher's job? No, it's our, it's everyone's job. It's everyone's job to teach the truth. There are teachers on the other side of the building teaching the little children. And they're teaching them the truth of God. They're ministers. Those who, who sing in the choir and, 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 and sing out and proclaim the, 
the good news of, of, of the gospel and, and, and of God, they're ministers. Those who play the piano and touch our hearts with the beautiful music and the music causes our minds to, to meditate upon the Lord and, and causes us to love him, they're ministers. Those of you who sit in the pew and, and, and maybe, maybe you sit here and, and every now and then you'll look at the pastor and smile, you're ministering to him. Believe me, pastors like to see smiles. One thing you don't like to do is stand up in front of a bunch of people and preach about sin and see nothing but scowls on their faces. You know how lonely that is? You're up there and you're thinking, well, if I end this sermon, I've got to go face them at the door. So I'll just keep going until they all get tired and leave. We're all ministers. Our, you know, our philosophy here at Berean is this. I, matter of fact, it used to say this on our bulletins. It doesn't say it anymore, but <clears throat> our bulletins used to say, every saint a servant, and every member a minister. That was, that was our philosophy, and it still is. But we need to keep it in front of ourselves. We're, we're, not here to, we're not here to make money. We're not here to become wealthy. We're not here to become powerful. We're saints of God, and we're to serve him. And everything we do should be to bring him honor and him glory. Yeah, we have to work. We have to earn money to take care of our families. We all understand that. But that is not what we are. I've said it before. Brian is not a web designer. That's what he does. Gary is not a a psychologist. That's what he does. I don't know what Eric does, but he makes a lot of money doing it. But that's not what he is. That's what he does. What are you? Yeah. Your servants. You're ministers. You're children of God. That's what you are. You're children of God. Don't forget that. Go out and earn money for your family. Make the best living you can for your family. Absolutely. Uh, I wish I could make more money. I really do. But I'm doing, I'll do the best I can. You do the best you can. Be wise servants. Uh, be good stewards with what God gives you. But most of all, you are a child of God. You are a minister. You are a servant. Let's be that. So God's grace. You know, there's no such thing as part-time servants of Christ. I hear people all the time say, I'm in full-time, I'm a full-time ministry. Really? So am I. What do you do for a living? Well, I work in the church. Oh, okay. Well, you're lucky. I'm a full-time minister. I don't get to work in the church, though. I have to go out and earn a job. But I'm still a full-time minister. You understand that? Don't say you're... Don't say you're, you're a part-time servant of Christ. That means, that means then you're a part-time servant of the world, right? Huh? Be a full-time servant of Christ. Do the right thing at every instance of your life and glorify God with everything you say, everything you do. Be a full-time servant of Jesus Christ. Be the minister that God has made you. But then, thirdly this morning, grace is deliberately bestowed upon the humble. The humble. In James chapter 4, James writes this. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, 
you double-minded. So we see from this that James states that God gives grace to, to the humble. But what does it mean to be humble? Well, in the context of Scripture, let me, let me share some thoughts with you concerning being humble. First, it's a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. In Psalm chapter 8, the psalmist writes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens and the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Now, arguably, David was one of the most humble characters in Scripture. We don't really ever see David exhibiting much pride. Uh, Foolishness every now and then, but not not much pride. Poor decisions, perhaps. But David was a very humble man. Matter of fact, the Bible uh, called David what? The man after God's own heart. Uh, so here we see him in this passage acknowledge his own unworthiness. He asks the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? In other words, David is saying, who am I, God? Who am I that you should care about me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever, have you ever just looked up and said, God, why do you care about me? I'm so unworthy. I'm I'm so undeserving. You know, I got saved November 29th, 1981. And there's not been one day go by since then where I haven't looked up and just thanked God for saving a wretch like me. I wasn't a good person. I really wasn't. Some may say I'm still not. I don't know. But you wouldn't have liked me much then. And I don't know why God loved me. I don't know why God chose me. I don't know why God called me. I don't know why God saved me. But I'm just glad he did. I'm very thankful that he did. And that's what David is saying. Lord, why Why do you care about me, Lord? There, there, are, there are stronger men in the country. There are, there are greater men. There are bolder men. There, there are others who, who could do so much more than me. Why do you care about me? That's humility. It's, it's understanding our own unworthiness before God. Now, it's not, it's not um, self-abuse. It's not going to, humility isn't going around saying, well, I'm the worst person that's ever lived. That's not humility. That's, that's pathetic. That's what that is. It's also not walking around thinking I'm better than you or I'm better than anybody else. But it's, it's understanding how unworthy I am before God. And God gives grace to us when we have that attitude. He, 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 he showers his favor upon us. Because it's pleasing to him when we acknowledge to him that he is above all things and he is first and foremost in all things. So first, humility... I said, 
is uh, a deep sense of one's own unworthiness in the sight of God. Next, humility is demonstrated by our self-abasement. Not abusement, but our own self-abasement. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 states, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is learning to think of others before thinking of yourself. You know what it is? It's not doing things that would hurt me so that somebody else can, can, can get favor, but it's this. It's stopping to think, am I going to hurt someone else by what I do? That's what it is. If I go out and if I go out and do something I shouldn't do, how's it going to affect the members of Berean Baptist Church? I think about that. I think about how my actions are going to affect you. If I go out and do things I shouldn't do and it becomes public knowledge, how is that going to how is that going to affect the people around me? How is it going to cause some people to maybe become discouraged and quit? Is it going to cause some people maybe to to become angry and, and do something they shouldn't do. This is, this is what humility, this is a part of humility. It's seeing myself not separate from the body, but a part of the body. And understanding that what I do affects the whole body. By the way, the same is true for you. What you do affects the whole body. Well, I have my rights. Yeah, you do. You do have your rights. Well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, probably. But let me ask you this. What is all of that going to do to everybody else? Do you even care? Because if you don't care, I have, I have my, my doubts as to whether you're really part of the body. So when we, when we consider ourselves humble, we have, to, we have to realize that we can't be so proud that we put ourselves above everyone else around us. That's, that's what this means. That's what that's exactly what Paul was saying when he said, let nothing be done through strife of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It's it's self-abasement. It's 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 denying myself maybe of doing something that I want to do because it's not the best thing to do because it's going to influence or hurt someone else. And 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 I'm not to do that. I'm to esteem everyone else better than myself. Not, not that they're better than me, but, but that their, their rights and, and, and their, their, their feelings are just as important as mine. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're, we're all, we're all, we all should be of one heartbeat, walking in harmony and agreement concerning the things of Christ. So as a, as a church body, we come together and we have, we have expectations and, and as a church body, we come together and we say, we don't, we don't believe in drinking, so we're not, we're gonna restain, we're gonna abstain from drinking. We don't believe in smoking, so we're not gonna smoke, and things like that. And we need to understand that when we violate something like that, we influence those around us. And that is pride. And it is sin. But God's favor is upon those of us and those of you who understand that we're not better than anybody else around us, 
and you have enough love and concern for each other that you're so careful about what you do so as not to offend someone else. Humility is next, submission to God's will. James says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. One cannot claim to be humble while living in rebellion to authority. The opposite of humility is pride, and pride always demands, and pride never yields. So we see that grace is deliberately bestowed upon the elect, upon the ministers of Christ, upon the humble. Then lastly, in closing, grace is deliberately bestowed upon those who walk upright before God. Psalm 84, for the Lord uh, God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Now, <clears throat> those who walk upright, this is those who live their lives centered around Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. It's, it's living your life centered around Jesus Christ. That's, that's what walking uprightly is. It's, it's making every decision, starting with Jesus, starting with Christ and the gospel, starting with uh, the kingdom of God, and, and working out from there. The job we take, the, the associations we make, the hobbies we develop, the, the, the person we marry, the college we go to, all these things. The first thing considered should always be Jesus. He should be at the center of it all. And all of our decisions are based upon his righteousness his expectations, and whether or not it glorifies and honors him. This is what we need in our lives. We need to do that in this place. Strive together, not with each other. The upright are they that conduct their lives with integrity and sincerity in their hearts. The deliberate bestowing of the grace of God. i got to stop. I could go on for quite a while. God's grace has been bestowed upon us. And we need to understand what responsibility that places upon us. We are to live as children of God and glorify and honor him in all things. Well, thank you for being here. We'll go ahead and dismiss. It's 10 till. And have a nice day. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.